Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Ariana Campoverde, but you can call me Gabby. Our guest today is Victor Pipres, co-founder and chief technology officer of Forage, a third-party payments processor which helps grocers accept electronic benefit transfers, or EBT, online. Although Forage is relatively early stage, it's already a company I greatly admire. Why? Well, their mission is simple. Create a world where all families with any budget can afford a meal. Today, over 42 million people receive EBT benefits or food stamps. This is government support to pay for groceries. However, less than 100 grocers accept these benefits online. Forage is trying to change that. In this episode, you'll learn all about how Forage was started during the COVID-19 pandemic when going to a grocery store was impractical, specifically in food deserts across the country. You'll also learn about the obstacles Forage overcame to build its current API, how they successfully completed the Y Combinator Accelerator last summer, and all about Victor's and his co-founder Justin's passion for making technology accessible to those who need it the most. At Wharton FinTech, we tried to get you the latest movers and shakers in the industry. And trust me, this is one that you want to hear all about. Now, let's get started. Hi, Victor. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Uh, How are you doing and where are you calling in from? Hi, Gabriela. I am calling from San Diego, California. Well, super excited to get to know more about Forage. Um, Would you be able to get us started by telling us more about your team and your company and what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So uh, Forge helps online grocery stores accept EBT SNAP online. And the more familiar name for EBT SNAP is food stamps. Uh, So we built like a simple and easy API that any developer can use, very much like Stripe. So we we try to think of ourselves as the Stripe for America's uh, social safety net. And we have a team of 13 and growing, amazing engineers, and amazing EBT experts. Awesome. And this seems like quite an interesting space for fintechs nowadays to be working. What got you started and what prompted you to work on this problem? Yeah, great question. So it goes back to uh, me and my co-founder's history. So both of us have always, we've had the shared philosophy around tech that we believe that tech can solve fundamental problems around access and upward mobility. And our past showed that. So like Justin, uh, the CEO, my co-founder, did EdTech to increase like educational opportunities for students across the nation. And I did like STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, uh, and, and the maker movement. And I was building like 3D printers for students and home tinkers and it was about increasing access to engineering tools that no one outside of a like a well-funded like research and ve- development department could get access to. And so we were both in like in the transition phase in our careers when we like randomly uh, ran into each other in the streets of San Francisco, and we ended up hanging out for hours, rekindling our friendship, and whiteboarded different ideas, and we just realized we had really great working chemistry. And a couple of weeks later, you know, I go back to San Diego and Justin calls me and goes, hey, have you ever heard of EBT? 
and we just kind of threw ourselves at the problem. Uh, we interviewed over a hundred people who on EBT. We wanted to build a product that would help EBT participants get access to food. And so, long story short, uh, the pandemic hits. Our investor introduces us to a food hub in upstate New York, and they were having a really, really hard time delivering critical food to their customers. And a lot of their customers were on EBT. And the biggest issue was that they couldn't accept the card online. So they had a store, they had an online store, you'd order, but you couldn't swipe the card online. And so it was just causing like huge delivery issues, right? Because you had to show up at the person's house and swipe the card in person. So imagine if your UPS driver had to like wait for you to open the door in order to deliver their, their goods. And that's where we realized that the most meaningful thing we could do in this space was actually increase access to online groceries, especially in the pandemic. Um, and so we just jumped into the problem and 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 tried to build a solution that 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 would work for our customers, which are our merchants, online grocers. Got it. And I know you're fairly new as far as startups go, but. How did that MVP look like? I, I know you mentioned your introduction was through your <laughs> investors, but what did the first iteration of this service actually, what was it like? Yeah, so the MVP was a, a landing page. Like, <laughs> so we did, like we basically, we, we sold, a, we got to understand the problem and we did the thing that they, that they recommend, which is sell sell as soon as you can, get customer feedback. And so we basically just built like prototypes. We built like mock-ups, we built like landing pages. And we basically used those as a guiding light for our technological integrations. And that's kind of how we started with the idea and validated the idea. Yeah, and were those pages specifically for folks who would be using their EBTs to get... Um, like an online group to pay for an online grocer or was it for the online grocers themselves? It was for the online grocers themselves. Mm -hmm. So the idea was that if we help the online grocers, then we will inevitably help the people on EBT. And just to give you like some context, like around 250,000 grocery stores, like in person can swipe the EBT card in person, but fewer than a hundred of them can accept it online today. That's wild because you think about everything moving to Instacart, Amazon, the prime delivery being such a huge thing. And clearly there's such a huge segment of the population that's left out because of this. So that's really, that's awesome that you hear that someone's working on this problem. And I know that was back in like 2020, 2021. And you recently finished Y Combinator this past summer. How was that experience for the startup? Yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible experience. Like, uh, it really accelerated us. You know, um, the curriculum focused our efforts. The network helped us raise. And, and the name recognition legitimized us. I mean, you got to understand, like, we're a mission-driven company. And for some reason, people don't think you could do good business and be a good business. And so what it did is it basically showed the world that there's a place where Companies can be a catalyst for good. Yeah. And was there <laughs> any like specific milestones that you were able to reach over the past like two years that have really brought you guys 
Now, we're going to talk a bit more about like the new features that you have and the new processes that you have in place. But was there anything specifically like post MVP and in, in the past year that has changed that has helped you realize that there's a different business model or a better way to be able to scale with your mission in mind? Yeah. So kind of the thing that how this product evolved is, you know, halfway through the journey, we realized that tech isn't the only thing that the grocers need in order to transact EBT online. So before Forage, grocers, grocers need, so just a little context, grocers need to get special permission from the government in order to accept this card online. And we realized that that's like the biggest bottleneck that people were having is that historically it takes about 12 to 18 months to get the grocer through the whole like licensing component. And we realized that, yeah, our tech is amazing and it works and integration with it is as easy as like integrating with Stripe. But if we can't get them to get through the, the licensing component, then you know, no one wins. You know, we can't, the government can't uh, increase the distribution of this, of this feature Grocers can't get access to 43 million Americans who rely on this card to feed themselves. And we, for example, can't do business because we're not running live transactions. And so we hired like a team of like amazing EBT experts to basically cut down that 12 to 18 months to a third of the time. Wow, that's incredible. And I guess really great transition to discussing and learning more about your product line. Um, like you've mentioned, you now have a team in place that's able to run this process and help onboard your uh, grocers. What does your experience look like um, otherwise? So like with any like government licensing or anything like that, you know, it requires a lot of paperwork. I know in, in software development, you have like these two paradigms, waterfall development versus agile development. And working with the government is very much a waterfall endeavor. You have to set, you basically have to understand how your app is going to work end to end fully and to draft up this like 50 page report about how it's going to work and, and whether it's compliant with local laws. And so basically what we do is we, in the onboarding process, we provide a lot of clarity around like, what are the next steps, right? There's, it's a multi-step process. Here's as much clarity as you need so that you can understand how many resources you're going to have to expend in your company. And then the, big, the second big unlock that we help is that we basically get you through these compliance checkpoints in like one go. So to give you some examples, so you have to develop this document called the business requirement document. It's basically this giant report that basically says, this is how everything works on my website. This is the experience that the EBT user is going to have to go through when they shop for groceries on my website. Normally it takes months because you build out a first version and then you send it into the government and then it takes them 10 business days to get back to you. And then when they get back to you, there's a bunch of comments and you kind of get into this cycle where you're going back and forth. And so you can imagine many months can go by about of back and forth. And we actually recently built a BRD in one week and got it approved in one try. So that in total, it took us like two to three weeks, essentially. Whereas it would have taken 
a merchant if they did it by themselves months to get through this hurdle. Wow, that, that's fascinating. It's always really interesting because it's like in a lot of ways you're, maybe this is a plan, but you are standardizing the experience for an EBT user, which also from a compliance standpoint just makes things so much easier to move along. And oh, 100%. Can you, yeah. Can you talk a bit more about the APIs that you're building, right? You've clearly like laid out what it looks like to onboard onto government benefits for your grocers, but how was it building these APIs to be able to interact with BBT government benefits and do that type of clearing? Yeah, it's definitely a, a, cha- it's definitely a challenge. I'm not going to lie. So just for context, like EBT is like the visa, right? It's a government payment network, very much like a visa is a payment network. I'm a, a web application, you know, software engineer from trade and you know, we're very used to the AWSs, the Google Clouds of the world. And when we start to, to integrate with this system, we realize that this infrastructure is not cloud native at all. Like we have literally piping into their physical data centers. Like there's no AWS or anything like that. I mean, what we're pretty proud of is that integrating with us takes a few lines of code. But the reality is that it took us like hundreds of thousands of lines of code to actually integrate with this legacy system. And yeah, we're proud that we've we've abstracted away, you know, all that difficulty for our customers. That's awesome. And like in the end of the day, it's you just facilitating all of this. So the value that you bring to all your grocers by standardizing this, it's it's fantastic. Um, can you give us a bit more of a lens of like how is it that these government social programs are changing. Um, You know, we've had Jimmy Chen, who's the founder of Propel on the show beforehand, and he really spent so much time explaining, you know, a few years ago, how that looked like. And now with everything moving online and grocery deliveries um, becoming very common, um, you know, we've learned a bit about EBT from your lens, but how is this segment changing and what have you learned given your founder journey in this space? Yeah, I think, so first off, what Jimmy's doing at Propel is awesome. And, and the, really the pandemic put a stressor on these social programs and exposed like critical flaws in them, right? And like, for example, with Propel, people were having an issue getting their relief checks and, and, and they really solved the question of how did the underbank receive their stimulus money? For us, it was people with EBT cards couldn't participate in online groceries. It wasn't a demand issue. If anything, there's almost like perfect product market fit for online groceries and EBT cards. But the problem was that there just wasn't the infrastructure set up in place in order to, to give access. And so that's, that's really what like motivated us during the, the pandemic is just knowing that you know, we can make a really meaningful impact on, on people's lives by just giving them access to something that, that we all take for granted, which is online groceries. In terms of like how the social programs are changing, you know, the government recognizes, like the Biden administration actually increased SNAP benefits by 27% in October of 2021. And, and Congress released a lot of like funds, I think hundreds of millions of dollars in order to provide the technical support for grocery stores to start accepting online EBT. And so, yeah, I guess the pandemic put a stressor, but, you know, the private and the public sector 
are working together to essentially fix these issues. Now, you mentioned earlier that you want to essentially create the internet infrastructure for government social programs. What are you most excited about? Like you mentioned, now seems like the right time. It's become quite obvious of a problem, but what keeps you motivated to continue working on your mission and continue working on this company? Yeah, I mean, it's I keep coming back to this, which is it's all about access. You know, the formula is clear. Technology helps people access markets. Markets unlock efficiency gains and they make your time and dollar go farther. You know, an online snap is is a prime example of that. What I mean to say by like product market fit for EBT cardholders is like most people on this card who use this card, sorry, most participants are homebound, you know, lack transportation or live in a food desert without easy access to grocery stores. And you know, what better than to have the grocery store come to you? That's what online groceries like provides. You know, now you don't have to spend two hours getting on public transportation and shopping in person in order to get the food that you need to live. Now you can just have someone else do it, have an online grocery deliverer or even a pickup. Pickup saves time. So that's what we're really excited about. And that's kind of the ethos of that. And so what does that mean for the future? Well, right now we're just focused on food. But maybe utilities, maybe healthcare, you know, there's just so much more to unlock in this space. Yeah. And you mentioned that there's a lot more of the U.S. beyond, you know, I'm from New York. I always think about this issue being such a like an inner city urban problem. But clearly, you know, there's a lot of America out there that doesn't look like like that. Um, and you mentioned also having issues going to even get your groceries. I know you guys are still early stage, but do you have any statistics or how are you thinking about different regions within the U.S. that you want to be able to partner with as far as like grocers go? So that way you are able to get a large segment of the population. And are you currently working with grocers that are nationwide? Um, How does that look like? Yeah, great question. So, So right now we're focused on you know, the biggest states on EBT, which are like New York, California, Texas, Florida, uh, they represent like the biggest bulk. But obviously, like we work with anybody. We work with the big players, but we also work with the the small players. And I think that's something we're pretty proud of is that, you know, we do have, we are helping right now some farmers markets go online. And actually some far, interesting thing about farmers markets is that a lot of farmers markets are part of this other program called Double Up Food Bucks. And so the idea here is that for every dollar that you spend on a fruit or vegetable, right, the government will give you another dollar to spend on fruits and vegetables. Uh, so very much in, in, in light of the, you know, medicine is food. And so we're very much like bullish on that, on like promoting programs like that. The secondary thing is that we are, you know, we're working with, we try to also work with tech forward companies, you know, like the cool thing about online groceries is that we're seeing like really interesting grocery store models now, you know, like the internet is unlocking online groceries. It's no longer stuck 
in the old model. I mean, you have like imperfect foods or misfits, right? Which are basically let's how do we how do we get all this like food waste, not food waste, but like food that would otherwise be sent to the landfill? And how do we distribute, how do we use the internet to find buyers all over the country? Right. Or like we're working with an amazing company right now called Flash Food. And they basically make the discount aisle in a grocery store sexy. And so they work with like really big giant grocery stores. And basically you get on their app and then you find it, you get to see, you get to buy groceries for super, super, super cheap. You buy them online and you show up, they have a little station and you pick up your bag and you go home. So this is like, this is a really, a really, really cool groceries. And that's what kind of gets me excited is that like, you know, not only are we giving people who use EBT access to online grocery stores, but we're actually giving them access to innovative grocery business models that never existed like a couple of years ago. Oh, that, that's really cool. And, and, and so this is so interesting because it's like, you don't think of these companies as particularly insightful when it comes to fintech. But nowadays mm-hmm. you also have like apps like Too Good To Go that help you, you know, take things that aren't necessarily sold that day and you're able to get it at a great offer. And in the end of the day, it's like, who does that really benefit and how, how does that, again, open up access to new folks? That's great. Um, and what are you thinking about as far as like what the next three to five years look like for the internet infrastructure that you and a lot of other fintech companies are trying to work on, specifically when it comes to this uh, government social benefit program? Yeah, I think so for right now, you know, we're, we're hyper-focused on serving this market and serving these people and serving these merchants, right? So our, for us, it's just like, how do we, how do we get forage into more grocery stores and how do we increase access? Another thing too is also like, I think another problem in the space is access to benefits, you know, making the process more transparent and simple. An example is that, you know, in California, 70% of eligible individuals receive SNAP. So that means 30% of people who could get SNAP don't get it. Or even for the elderly, the, the statistic is, is even is more stark and dire. It's like 18% in California of all eligible seniors receive SNAP. Like it's, so the just access to EBT SNAP, there's an issue around that. Um, I know that Code for America, they're like a nonprofit, like very much like Teach for America. They bring coders into to solve really meaningful issues. Uh, they tackled this problem in California. So something like that, but across the nation, it would be amazing. So in terms of internet infrastructure, I guess just to summarize, it's like access to the benefits themselves and then also the ability to spend those benefits in an online market. And so right now it's a snap. We're focused on food. But like I said, like there's so many benefits. There's so the, the social safety net is vast and involves transportation, you know, it involves uh, utilities, it involves healthcare. Just, so that's where we see our growth. It's just how do we make the social safety net more accessible to everybody? That's really cool. And I, I guess just for our listeners, when it comes to food stamps in particular, it's like the programs are run on a state-by-state level, right? That, that's one thing that most folks forget is that it's just not a nationwide, you're eligible in one state, you're in automatically you can go to another and get those same exact benefits. And I'm sure 
like, like you've mentioned, what your grocers are experiencing right now, the similar confusion, a similar, not necessarily as lengthy of a process, but a lengthy process does exist for even being um, a benefit recipient from their end. So it's really interesting. And it's been so enlightening to hear it from your stance. And now we'd love to pivot a conversation to learn a bit more about you. Um, you know, as I was looking through your career, like, like you've mentioned, you're a self-taught software engineer and you worked in a variety of different roles, including one which I particularly liked, geek in residence. <laughs> what made you interested <laughs> in working on a startup? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. What makes me like startups? I think it's the the independence of it and, and also just the challenge of it. I mean, it's like you're you're literally just trying to create something from scratch, like something that's never been done before. And that just excites me a ton. Like the challenge, the challenges of the everyday startup life are hard, but they're also like really exciting. <laughs> so maybe I'm a masochist. I don't know. <laughs> but but um, uh, in terms of the geek in residence, that was actually... So that was like my entry point into tech. So I knew that tech was the future and I wanted to be a part of the future. And so I decided, you know, what's the easiest way to do that? Or like, what's the most interesting way to do that right now was for me to like, just teach myself programming. And so I can't teach myself programming in a vacuum. You know, I have to, you know, I need feedback. I need to interact with people. And so I... I became a part of like San Diego's maker movement, which is basically the idea that like, let's democratize access to engineering and engineering tools. And so I joined this like really awesome, like nonprofit called the Fab Lab. They were founded in MIT and they had a branch in San Diego and the geek in residence was just basically a volunteer who, who basically helped manage the space, but then also like help enable the the people that were using this space you know there are people like 3d printing organs like literally not or not like a real over like models of organs to help their med school peers like study for for med school you know like they were like children there's a there's a family there that like they were using their child actually was born without a limb and so they're using the 3d printers to build him a prosthetic limb you know, limbs are expensive. Why not just make it yourself and learn how to do engineering in the process? So that was very much the ethos of the space. And I was very much like surrounded by such smart people. And I was able to level up my programming skills, not just by like teaching them like what I was learning, but then also like working with them on, on projects. So that's how I got into, into, into programming, literally a garage tinker. It looked like a garage. <laughs> That's so cool. And, and, you know, I I think like one of the most interesting experiences in life is like where you're in a position where you constantly meet people of all different walks of life and you you gain new perspectives. And it it sounds like this was kind of like that for for not not only you, but also like I'm sure like the impression that it had on your career. And like you mentioned, the whole theme of access um, being a huge part of like your mission. Can you talk a bit more about like how you were able to use your career, like those experiences to help build the culture at Forage, right? Like you mentioned, 
it sounds like you've had entrepreneurial life experiences beforehand, but this might be the first time where you're building something um, and you have now a large team. You're going to have a probably even larger team in the next few months. Um, so how, how has it been molding that culture at Forage? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're obviously looking to grow and, and to bring on more people into our team. And one thing that we're really proud of is the fact that, like, we have a pretty transparent environment. We don't, we try not to hide things from people. We have a very much like a develop out in the open. And we also are like, not just focused on the growth of Forage as a company, but the growth of the individuals within the company themselves to give you a, let's, let's give you a good example. Um, Rob is one of our software leads. He was the first software engineer and he, he was a quant, you know, he was he was building programs that were trading billions of dollars in AIG. And he didn't have all the experience to be a full stack developer, right? He didn't build web applications. He was building like algorithms to basically trade. But we trusted him and he was very smart and talented and we could see the potential. And, and, and we, want, we were very like, we wanted him to grow as an individual and in what he wanted to do. And, and he exceeded all our expectations. Like he built out and architected so much of the systems that we built. And, and so this company, we're doing something that's never been done before. And we also asked our employees to do things that they've never done before to grow as individuals. Because if you grow, the company grows. And you can't have that without hyper-transparency, hyper um like, yeah, radical transparency and, and radical candor. I guess that's the word, radical candor, the ability to, to speak openly and, and to deal with criticism out in the open and, and to have a good feedback culture. So, yeah, it's what we pride ourselves in, in, in camaraderie, essentially. That's really awesome. And are you, know, are you guys currently fundraising? What are your plans for hiring? How does that look like? So we're completely focused right now on customer implementation right now. I'm sure we'll raise at some point, but that's that's not something we're focused on right now. But we are hiring. We are looking to hire and grow our team. Uh, we have a really big mission, and so we need a lot of we need a, we need a lot of amazing minds to essentially uh, get to that mission. That's awesome, and it sounds like a great great team to be part of. Um, so I know we are almost running out of time uh, and we typically do end with a personality question. So I was doing some digging and I heard about Victor Vector surfboards. So you used to make and sell custom surfboards. Where and how did you learn how to make surfboards? So at a certain point in my life, I was kind of a surf bum. Um, I loved the ocean and, you know, making surfboards was a nice way to kind of... Uh, be a part of the scene, but also, you know, like supplement my, <laughs> my, my surf bum tendencies. And so how did I get involved? I basically like, I was very lucky and, and I, I went to different factories in San Diego and, and one of them, one of the owners of the factories, like let me use his studio at night. So after work, I go to the studio and I would learn how to make surfboards and, and surfboard surfboards are expensive to make you know you're spending a couple hundreds of dollars just to make a surfboard and so i didn't have that money so i basically 
got other people to basically finance my surfboard making. So that's kind of how it started. It was very natural. It was like, all right, I want to make surfboards. I want to live the surfer life, but I don't have the money to do it. So I'll get other people to help me make surfboards. And it was actually a win-win. And it was a really cool experience. And it's nice knowing that there's there are people out there who were surfing on my boards right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. And did you literally just go up to different factories and like ask them to use their, their spaces or how, how is getting your first factory like <laughs> your first yeah, studio? So, so it's actually, it was, so I was trying to sell them something. So that's how it, that's how the introductions happen. So basically I found this like really cool, like, material online these scientists out in new york had created this foam so surfboards were made out of foam and these scientists had like made this foam made out of mushrooms it was like a natural bioorganic like surfboard uh and so basically it was like this could be really cool huh like what if we made surfboards out of mushroom foam and really what happened was i went to the different you know surfboard makers and you know there wasn't very you know long story short it didn't really hit very well, but the factory owner who I was talking about, he was like, you know what? You don't know what you're talking about because you've never made a surfboard before. So why don't you just learn how to make a surfboard? And that's kind of how it started. He, he, he challenged me to essentially, you know, learn by doing, like le- learn the space you're, <laughs> you're trying to sell to. Um, but like I said, the mushroom thing didn't work, really work out. And what I was left with though, was, was, was a passion for, for making boards. That's really awesome. Well, thanks so much, Victor. It's been wonderful to learn all about forage, more about EBT, and a little bit about mushroom foam. Did not even know that existed. So it's been a pleasure and really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for this for this great experience. This is my first podcast. So shout out to my family, shout out to my parents and friends. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Have a good one. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write us a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and it helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. Here you'll access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, a very special thank you to our wonderful editor, Rafael Ostria. Until next time, your host, Gabby.